Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 5. Today's guest is writer and playwright, Dara O'Brien. I have to say, of all the people that I've talked to, this interview has made me the most hungry. Talking to Dara O'Brien about food in New York, I really got very hungry and uh, I looked for something to eat right after the interview. It was a lovely chat and I look forward to having you hear it. She was such a wonderful person to talk to and uh, so accomplished. I really enjoyed it very much, and I hope I get a chance to talk to her again. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, my guest is Dara O'Brien. Dara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you doing? Pretty good. I'm glad to have you here. How's everything in New York? Everything's fine. We had a major heat wave, and then today suddenly is about 30 degrees uh, cooler than it was yesterday. Um, oh. Very welcome. Yeah, I mean, it was like 90 degrees yesterday. Oh, very nice. I've Crazy. never been to New York. I've always wanted to go. One day, mm. my dream is to go there and mm. visit all the main spots in the libraries. Mm. Oh, well, there, there are plenty of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, you would you would enjoy. Um, let me know, and uh, I'll uh, I'll make some recommendations. Thank you very much. Um, sure. So I wanted to ask you: You're the creative director for Lake Isle Press, a mm -hmm. publisher that publishes cookbooks of note. Yeah. So can you tell me about your job and what it entails? Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I joined Lake Isle about a year and a half ago, uh, and uh, the thing that excited me about it was that it was a chance to get involved in everything, but then editorial and marketing. Uh, but particularly marketing is my um, avenue because it's a small staff and uh, the publisher uh, likes to focus much more on um, the editorial uh, function. She doesn't really enjoy marketing and she doesn't want to know, she doesn't want to have to be focused on that. Um, but what happened when I joined is we had just published a book, the Fonio Cookbook uh, by uh, Pierre Chem. And that was just in its rollout uh, when the pandemic hit. And because we're a small house, we really didn't have, like we've been thinking about what the next book would be, but it wasn't, it has not been um, engaged yet. So editorial has been on hold. So um, everything I've been doing has been focusing on uh, uh, the marketing aspect, um, which is, you know, that, that's just fine. Um, so what, what I'm doing instead of uh, working on a new book and selling a new book is we're looking at our backlist and we have such a rich backlist. Um, there's, uh, there's plenty uh, to work on from that, um, which is why I created the blog that you have read. Um, yeah. it's, it's on our website called Taste Budding. Yes. Uh, and it's basically about me as a picky eater who's been discovering the joy of food and um, trying new ingredients and, and cooking with new ingredients. Um, so I took, I, so it's on our, our, our like our website, but then I also put it on Medium uh, so that I've been, I've been uh, trying to expose um, that in two ways. I'm also revamping our website. We're working, we're helping our social media. I've been looking at for other ways to promote the backlist, um, which is some media outreach. And we're starting to consider some advertising on the backlist. So that is what I've been up to. Uh, since I joined Lake Isle Press. Wow, that sounds quite a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so how did you get into the field of publishing? Mm -hmm. What brought you to Lake Isle Press? 
Uh, well, I started in publishing. Uh, actually, uh, you should you should know this uh, company, R.R. Bowker. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Bi bibliographies. Yeah, that was my first job. Um, I before that I had been bumming around in restaurants, uh, and because I was an actress, and um, I wanted to keep myself free as much as possible for auditions, um, and you know, <laughs> go to any restaurant in New York. It's just full of actors. Um, and I liked it. I really do. I always did like the hospitality industry, but um, after a while I was looking ahead and I realized that I didn't see a path where I'd be earning the majority of my money or even half of my money uh, through acting. It's right. very, very hard. And I thought, I don't want to be a waitress for the rest of my life. I, that's not going to work for me. Right. So um, I always loved writing. Um, so I tried to get a job as a writer, uh, a copywriter, because I figured that would be something I could do um, and eventually become a freelancer and then have the time to go back to acting. So I ended up getting a job at our Bowker uh, as an assistant to the creative director, I think. Um, and uh, I ended up as a copywriter within a year. Um, and so I was there for quite a while selling, um, selling books to librarians. But then my next job was selling um, The Cosmopolitan Girl. Um, I went over to Cosmopolitan Magazine as a creative director. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, creative, creative manager, not creative director, excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, we're supporting ad sales, um, which was a totally different experience and a lot of fun. Uh, I was there for a while. Um, then I started freelancing um, through a lot of different magazines, um, which I also loved. And then ended up for a little stint away from media altogether, working with McKinsey and Company. Um, oh, nice. And recruiting. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I really, I loved their case studies. It was just fascinating to listen to what they do. Uh, then I ended up back in media um, at Bon Appetit. Uh, I was their marketing director for about seven years. Oh, I didn't know that. My God, yeah. Bon Appetit. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I bet the yeah. stories, I bet you could tell. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, when I was there, it was um, under the old regime. When I was there, the editorial was still in uh, L.A. or uh, yeah, Los Angeles while we were here in New York. Uh, it's so funny. The um, Victoria Van Beel, who was the executive editor, she came to New York um, and started working out of New York completely. Uh, and it ended up working out really well. Um, so she was, you know, working long distance with her colleagues um, in California, but she lost 10 pounds in like a month because there was no test kitchen. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard about test kitchens to people's mm -hmm. writings, like Ruth Reichel talks about that. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, apparently the bell rings and everyone goes and tastes. Um, they did move it. Everything is here now with Bon Appetit, but that happened right around the time I left. Uh, so, but there were still, I mean, you know, you have to love a product to sell it. So right. I really got quite engrossed in it. And, I, and um, it really helped me to start cooking. And um, I always loved entertaining. And Bon Appetit has such a focus on entertaining. Um, so um, that kind that changed my life a little bit in terms of what I do uh, and how I spend my free time. And that got me much more into food. And we did, we would, we used to do a lot of events at restaurants and stuff. So it definitely exposed me to food in a way I hadn't been before. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I left uh, Bon Appetit and I went freelance again. Uh, then a friend of mine saw an ad for the job at Lake Isle. I didn't know anybody. 
uh, you know, usually, you know, jobs happen that, you know, through you know, a friend of a friend or whatever, but this was just cold. She saw the job and it just looked perfect for me because it combined the love of the editorial and editorial work with marketing. Um, so I just, um, I applied, I got called in and I got the job. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I really have always, I mean, you, you read about stuff like that and you fantasize about it. It sounds very glamorous <laughs> to work in publishing, but I did work yeah. in publishing a little myself for newspapers. I worked in mm -hmm. uh, ad sales. I know it can be quite daunting always working with calendars and everything like that. Yeah, the, the, the deadlines can be can be really difficult. And depending on where you work, like um, uh, Condé Nast, which publishes Bon Appetit, they, um, they uh, have a lot of different silos within marketing. But um, at Cosmo, uh, where, which is Hearst, um, they didn't have silos, so you were, had a, your finger in everything. Um, so, uh, like, I would do uh, special advertising sections, write them. Um, but like at, at Bon Appetit, uh, someone else handled that. I, I would just handle um, communications with um, our advertisers. Yeah, I loved over time, I got to see the ads in um, news magazines, the cooking magazines, it would be several pages and have a lot of like recipes and stuff in them. And it was always kind of neat to see that evolve over time. Yeah, let's well, start with, um, with the advent of video uh, being so easy to do and so accessible and it, it's, you can create it on a dime. And uh, with internet now so much more um, prevalent, it's changing the way advertising is working with content and you know content marketing is becoming so so big you know my blog is a little bit of that you know it's very much focused on giving people value but it's tied to a brand right um so uh that's but you'll see that uh, that's happening so much more now with uh content uh being uh blurring the line between content and advertising yeah, it's. I mean, I liked it a lot. I, you know, I, I didn't always know what to think about it at first, but I've enjoyed seeing it over time, and it's really fun sometimes to see what they come up with. Mm, that's so much creativity. Yeah. Mm. So you're a foodie and someone who cooks. So mm. who are some of the food writers and famous chefs that you're watching right now that inspire mm. you? Yeah. Well, uh, for the past year and a half, uh, I've been exploring uh, like Isle Press's backlist. Uh, you know, it's really, I think it's really important to really know what you're selling. You know, so I understand these books so much more because I've actually cooked from them. Right. Uh, in particular, uh, you know, I've, I had never even heard of Fonio, which is a, an ancient grain uh, oh, yeah, from yeah. the Sahel. So now I not only know Fonio, I've cooked with Fonio and I can make really good Fonio. Oh, nice. um, and it's so easy. I mean, it's, it's just so simple to prepare it. It's like couscous, you know, you put it in water and it, and it's done. Uh, but so uh, making uh, Fonio and, and playing with recipes from Fonio cookbook and uh, Pierre Chem, who is our, the author and is also a restaurateur uh, here in New York. Uh, he's, we have two of his, two other books of his oh. and it's, um, um, all African food. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And so what I still haven't mastered yet um, is okra. I've got to oh, try. Yeah. Pierre loves okra. I got to, you know, that's going to be my next, my next uh, 
ingredient, but I'm just like, I, I just, I'm wondering about the texture and I don't know how to work with it. I, I want someone to do it for me. So teach yeah. me, you know, I find it hard, the idea of working on, on my own with it, but um, he loves it. Uh, so we have, we have Pierre's books, which are just the, you know, they're just so wonderful. You know, did you, have you ever had Yasa? No, I don't think I oh have. Oh my God. It's just so simple. It's um, Yasa is caramelized onions with Ooh. mustard and lime. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. And he has, um, we have a few different versions of Yasa, but in Fonio cookbook, he has a chicken Yasa. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just so, so good. I think those were my first recipes of his that I made. Oh my God. That um, sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. He also, uh, you know, I want to try his peanut sauce. Ooh. The muffet. Um, that, and, and, you know, he has a, he did a video for food and wine where he makes a, a chicken and vegetables and a muffet. It just, it's just, um, you just want it. You just want to eat it. It looks so great. Well, just from what you're describing, I want to eat mm. it. I'm out, my mouth mm. literally watering right now while I'm yeah, listening yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His stuff. And, and we also have um, Jose Garces, uh, who's a restaurateur in Philadelphia, who he, I don't know, he's got so many uh, restaurants there right now. And I've, I have not been to any of them, but I so want to. His, his food is fabulous. And his books, we have two from him. Uh, and they're, they're just wonderful books. Um, the Latin Road Home is uh, a little travel log through food to five uh, areas uh, in Latin America. And I might not, it's Mexico, Cuba, Peru. Um, oh, I'm going to forget. Cuba. Um, Ecuador. Uh, and different recipes. I like, I made his carnitas. Oh my God. <laughs> is is so... that the author you sent the, um, you sent the, uh, the tortilla recipe? Was that the one? Yes. Yes. That's his tortilla recipe. Oh my God. So I used that just yesterday, literally. And oh. I, I made wonderful tortillas with it. I mean, oh. they weren't perfect, but I did a great job, I think better than I would have done normally. And oh. it was, it was all because you sent me that uh, link. Yeah. So thank you. No, he's a good teacher. You know, his, his, his recipes are very easy to follow. Uh, yeah, even though so. they're, and they're, they're ambitious too. It's not like really simple stuff, but he really knows how to lay it out for you. And the carnitas, I thought like that was a, a lot, but it, 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 they turned out fantastically well. I think that's good in food writing when, you know, cause not everybody is good at explaining how to do something. I mean, I mm. think I grew up with, you probably have seen this too, where there are cookbooks from the past that just list things and they don't really explain anything. And you're kind of like looking at it going, are you kidding me? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like other British baking show when they have the yeah. technical challenge. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm like, uh, I'm so glad I'm not doing that right now because I wouldn't hack it. Yeah. And when you, um, when you start paying attention to recipes like that, I'm so interested in how they, in, in, in the process of writing it and telling the story. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's challenging. Yeah. It's really, you have to be really, really clear and think forward. Um, so yeah, I've been really, that's been a fun aspect of, of the blog, just looking at these recipes, understanding these recipes and trying to starting to try and understand how they get written. Cause also I, I'll see earlier versions where I see what the changes were I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I see why they did that. Now I see why they did that. I think it's helpful too, when, um, you're cooking something from another culture where you've never had it before. Mm. And if they can explain it well to you, you're mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, I will try this instead of, you know, mm take that leap and give this a shot, you know? 
Yeah, that's really that really feels. Um, I get that feeling very strongly from Vikas Khanna, his book Flavors First, which is Indian food. Oh yeah, um, it is so much about the culture, uh, and his, and this book for him is very personal. He he weaves stories, um, especially about his grandmother. Um, with whom he spent a lot of time. When he was a kid, he had a club foot, so he really couldn't walk very well. So yeah. he was home um, and he was really uh, kind of um, penned up in the kitchen, but uh, he loved it and he, really, and he learned to cook um, with her. Uh, and I, and, I mean, I've been, I've been now making my own curry Right. Which, you know, which is I never thought I would do. Um, uh, and uh, I'm learning a lot in his uh, his recipes. So I've, I think I've I think I've only had one that I didn't love. Uh, oh. Some of them was like so simple. Um, just a, like a, there's a broccoli with um, caramelized red onion. And that's just it's just delicious. Um, um, and they're all his lentil recipes. And um, he's got some lamb recipes I want to try too. And I made his chicken tikka masala, which was really terrific. You mentioned like he, he had um, some personal stories in the, in the cookbook. And I, I love mm-hmm. that people are doing that, that now. They're putting their own personal mm-hmm. touch on that and putting their biographical information in there. Mm-hmm. It makes it much more kind of closer to like, you feel like you get to know them like they're your friend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with these books, Pierre does that too. And I think his book is from his first book, I think it was 2007. Um, but with, especially with ethnic food, it's, it really helps us uh, if you're presenting it to people from another country, it helps you understand and help, it has helps those other people understand the food because food and culture are so tied up. Oh yeah. Very much and, so. Yeah. Now, yeah, and, go ahead. Yeah. Another book uh, of ours that I'm, quite loving is um it's a it's we've it's a we've had it for quite i think it's from the 19 late 1990s jim fobel's old-fashioned baking book oh I, I i love that book it's just fabulous and i just i haven't tasted them yet because it's still cooling i just made um some orange cook uh, some orange cupcakes oh he, nice. he has a he has the recipe is for um a tube cake but i thought well i wonder what they'd be i have to go someplace tomorrow and i need cupcakes and I thought, well, let's try that. So uh, I'll let you know how they are. Sounds, so far, everything I've made of his has been great. That sounds wonderful. Mm. So you live in New York City, as we said. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I, I've never been there, as we mentioned, we've talked about. And, you know, in my mind, you know, from reading of it, I think of Zabar's, I think of mm-hmm. Cameron on the Green. What is it like to be a foodie in New York? Um, I guess it's... I guess the first word I can think of is authenticity because yeah. you just have everything at your fingertips. You now you can go someplace like um, Kalustians, which is also online where you can get um, just about any spice you could possibly want. There's also um, a place called dual spice in the East village. Um, so if you're looking for um, fenugreek seeds or cardamom oh, yeah. pods, yeah. You know, there, there they are. Then there's H Mart. Um, there's a few different locations of that. It's a Korean store, but with Asian ingredients. But you can also go down to Chinatown and just go to a corner grocer and or and pick up, you know, fresh noodles. Because um, I, I I've been st- I still haven't perfected drunken noodles, um, but I love them. Um, yeah. And but you have to you can't you have to get the fresh noodles. You can't get dried. Um, oh yeah. So so there's and then there's um you know the food markets like um, Essex Street, um, which is down over in the Lower East Side and Chelsea Market. 
Um, they're both multi-vendor, um, so you can just fresh, get fresh ingredients, but also um, they have restaurants and food stands, and there's just a, such a wealth of tastes that are there for you. Oh um, Chelsea God. Market is, you would love, it's an old biscuit factory, uh, and it's like very cavernous, but you don't feel penned in at all. Part of it is because it's such a huge, it's a really, really high ceiling. But Food Network is up on top. It's got, it's got, um, it's studios up there and Google, I think now has the building and they own the building across the street too. So right. there's a lot of that going on, but um, in the, uh, the downstairs, which is just so sprawling, there's just anything you can think of is there. And it's really pretty wonderful. Oh, that sounds like hell. Yeah. 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 You would enjoy that. Oh, um, and then we have, um, we have new food halls starting up. There's a, uh, there's a, you know, the DeKalb market, uh, in Brooklyn, which I haven't been to yet, because uh, that happened, that was just starting right before the pandemic. And I haven't traveled to Brooklyn yet, because I live on um, upper Manhattan. So it's a bit of a stretch, um, you know, with a mask on at the yeah. subways. <laughs> yeah. But we have new food halls. Um, and then you know, in Harlem, there's such interesting, there's the whole little, the little Senegal um, with uh, so many different African restaurants and shops and, and outdoor markets. It's really great. There's Koreatown in Midtown. Um, uh, and they, they just like, they, that seems to be really exploding. They have a new restaurant I just read about. It's called Rib Number Seven. Uh -huh. And the only rib it serves is the seventh rib, which they say is the best of the rack in a, oh, in wow. a beef. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just, there's, you know, there's Curry Hill, which is where Calustians is, as part of Murray Hill. In my area, there's Dominican food. Um, oh, yeah. There's just, you know, there's just, there's just so much. I've What I haven't been yet is Arthur Avenue, which is in the Bronx, which is supposed to be just wonderful um, with authentic Italian food oh, yeah. and Italian ingredients. Uh, there's just, so living here, there's just anything you want, pretty much you have a way to get it. You might have to travel a little bit, but you have a way to get it. So you can taste it prepared by experts and you can get the ingredients to make it yourself. God, this sounds amazing. We also, by the way, just even our local bodegas and vegetable stands are, are quite extraordinary. But there's one right outside our office has such great fresh produce. I don't know how they do it. It's a tiny little stand on the street. a little bit but not too much um so you're a playwright and mm -hmm. i wanted to mention also how do you combine your career in publishing with your work in the theater uh well yeah so I, i'm a playwright and an actress you know as well as a communications professional and it's it's not always easy it's probably one of the biggest challenges of my life to try and keep both going at the same time one will be working and the other isn't and, and it's very hard for them both to go forward um so one thing that I'm lucky about uh, with Lake Isle is because it's a little more flexible. Sometimes the rigidity of corporate life means that I just can't pursue my art. I just, I just can't right. do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
I'm finding Lake Isle um, has, it just gives me a little more opportunity. Um, so that's great. Like, so right now I'm revising one play uh, and I'm on the first draft of another, and I'm just kind of trundling back and forth between the two of them. I'm not acting as much, but then who is, uh, you know, it's at, at, right. at this time. Um, I've been doing some Zoom things, but that's kind of back burnered for me right now. Um, my focus is much more on, on the writing. Um, but one thing I do find interesting that um, my work in theater, you wouldn't think it would help communications that much, but it really does. Oh. You know, there's, um, there's something for your writing. Uh, obviously, it helps because uh, you learn how to use words more effectively, use how to use as little words as possible in both cases. But also um, in theater, you have an attitude where problems constantly arise. It's always happened. Something goes wrong all the time, especially with live theater. Always, always, however much you prepare. So right. you have to know how to spin. You have to know how to pivot. Um, and so it really helps with your problem solving is because you look more readily for solutions. Huh, that makes sense. Throughout your life. Yeah. So that's, um, that's been helpful. Oh, very nice. Mm -hmm. so, how, so who are some of your favorite playwrights? I know that's a hard question to answer, yeah. but... Well, uh, I've always loved John Guare. Um, you know, he has such a really big heart and his plays are so funny, uh, but they're so real and there's just an urgency to them that uh, has always spoken to me. Um, August Wilson, I think, is just, is fantastic and his body of work stands together. So each play distinct, but each one together. Um, and one thing I really love about him is well, that he, that he creates worlds so completely, but he also writes such complicated women. And I love seeing that you know, from a man. Uh, to you know, some new playwrights coming up, I like Lucy Thurber. Um, she's very gritty, but she has a, and she also has a real urgency. And there's this new young playwright. She just, she, she actually, she was produced while she was still getting her MFA. Um, her name is Mara Nelson Greenberg. She wrote this play about an empathy coach going to this clueless office it's called do you feel anger it was it was just hilarious i mean she's going to be somebody to watch she's wonderful wow that sounds good i like to see that yeah oh it's it's so funny so so funny um there's a, a playwright and teacher named uh marcia norman who i also she just inspires me her her work is great and also she's such a generous teacher um i took a zoom I had went to a Zoom talk with her um, a couple of weeks ago, and she was just talking about uh, some things that she thinks are important about playwriting. And she inspired me so much. I just went and took the play that I'm working on. I, I started it, and the first scene now starts in the middle. I cut so much stuff out. It cut out like four pages. Uh, and that just all came from just listening to her talk. It was just great. Oh, nice. Mm, yeah. I also... Um, I'm a member of some playwrights groups and uh, we read each other's work together and give feedback. And um, I'm always inspired by my colleagues and what they're doing. Uh, and it's that it's this kind of a spirit of support and, and curiosity about what other people are doing. That's, that's actually, I see that a lot in medium, um, which is how we met. Right. That whole yeah. idea. No, it's just this, this, this marketplace of ideas and um, it's anyone and everyone. And it's, it's such a really engaged community. And it's, uh, and I think it's very supportive. Yeah, I've been really um, so 
gratified. I've, I've been so gratified by how everybody is so supportive and people will give advice and comments and I've never had any negative advice, but people will like, if they think like I need to hear something, they're like, Hey, I just want to talk to you, you know, and they'll, and they'll give me some advice. And I love how everybody's so willing to share there. It's such mm -hmm. a wonderful community. Are you um are you writing um beyond food or are you focusing your interest just on food and medium? I forget. I'm doing mostly food. I've been yeah, branching that. out a little bit. I've been doing some writing about family life mm -hmm. and uh you know our, our family and our children. And then mm -hmm. I've been writing about um music. Like some there's there's a online magazine called The Riff, and I've been writing mm -hmm. recollections about past concerts I've been to. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's it's uh, with a family and a job. There's just so much time. Yeah, I think we, we try. I try and force myself to write a certain amount for a week, but it doesn't always mm -hmm. happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When's your writing time? Sorry. When's your writing time? Do you have a specific oh, time of day? I tend to do it when after dinner, like after, mm -hmm. like every you know, everybody's been dealt with. All the kids have mm -hmm. been, like had their say. They know that it's kind of like leave mommy and daddy alone mm -hmm. time. And, mm -hmm. you know, we could either write or we could like watch films. So we tend to, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. how about you? Uh, uh, I think I'd like to begin the day with writing, but I don't wake up. I don't like to wake up early. So sometimes it's hard. Um, so um, if I have to go to work, then I just, I have to go to work. I, to get up hours earlier, it's just tough. So then I'll end up doing it at night or on my days off, but I don't have kids. So I have a little more flexibility, but when I, when I put my time in. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I think with us, we either do stuff early, like I get up early and, and I'll do things, but, or I'll do something late, but after like a certain time and until a certain time, that's it. Forget it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You do yeah, the Julia Cameron you. morning pages, like the with the. Yeah, you know it's funny. I did. I did Artist Way, and um, uh, there's the second one. I forget what it's called, but I did them both. And recently, you know, during the pandemic, of course, there were so many Artist Ways groups starting up, and I thought, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. I'll look at Artist Way again. And I apparently one time I've moved a lot. I've moved like 10 times. So yeah. one of my moves, I must've just said, you know, I'm getting rid of this book because I do not have my copy. Uh, but uh, I loved morning pages. Uh, I think I could, you know, even if you don't do the whole artist way again, just to do morning pages again, you're right. That could be, that could be a great thing to bring back. Well, I think especially mm -hmm. for fiction, because I write a lot of nonfiction, mm -hmm. but like I'm a frustrated horror writer. So like mm -hmm. I want to I try that again, I think. So I can just do stream of consciousness for that. Cause I mm. think with fiction, I think you kind of need that time period to kind of do stream of consciousness stuff. Yeah. yeah I guess for, um, for anybody listening who doesn't know, uh, Julia Cameron who wrote this um, course in creativity yeah. uh, called the artist's way. And one of the things she suggests is that you begin every day um, sitting down and writing three longhand pages of just whatever is in your head. Yeah. I always think everybody knows that. I forget yeah. that people have not heard of that. Yeah, yeah. There are some. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I remember at one point when I was really involved in it, I was getting so many ideas. I used to just, I, I started keeping a, a, an index at the back. Um, oh, wow. Notice there, because I think, oh, that's something I'd star it. And then I'd write a note in the back to point myself back to it. Oh, neat. I mm -hmm. love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I always like to talk to other writers about writing. I mean, I'm I'm a neophyte. I'm new. And I, li- mm-hmm. I like the fact that Medium allows kind of new people to it to kind of do it mm-hmm. and not feel like they're going to be shamed or like rejected. You know, it's just nice, very open. Yeah, but it, and it, is, it is so sprawling. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, I'm still, frankly, trying to learn my way through it. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm on for food. Uh, my friend Elizabeth Gray is on for politics. My friend Catherine Weigerton is on, um, on satire. And there's room for all of us. Yeah. Like, I think mm-hmm. I've talked, when I talked to, to um, some of the other writers from Medium, you know, we talked about some of the magazines and like, I think somebody mentioned Heat and they're like, well, why don't you try to write for Heat? I'm like, I'm not there yet. Like, mm-hmm. I think, and that's what's nice about Medium. Like there's different echelons of it. It's mm-hmm. like very professional and I'm kind of like, maybe one day, but like right now I'm kind of good with where I'm at, you know? Yeah. I think also it looks to me, I like heat. Um, it looks to me like what they want, they, they're not looking so much for personal um, stories. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're looking for, um, they're looking for s- stuff that focuses on um, ingredients or techniques or um, uh, informs uh, in a particular way. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's good. I like it. Yeah. I always love mm-hmm. reading it. Mm-hmm. So on that note, if you could invite five people, more or less, living or dead, for a dinner party, who would you invite, and what would you cook for them? Mm. But you don't have to cook too. You can. You, I mean, the option of getting stuff from a local place. <laughs> there. Oh no, the the I, I really you know I don't get to cook for people very much because I live alone. So uh, I love having a chance to cook for people. It's such a joy. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, if I was, if I get anyone living or dead, I think one person I would love to cook for is my mom. Oh yeah. I don't, I think I really ever got to cook for her very much. And I was such a picky eater when I was a kid. I, I mean, I wouldn't eat anything. Um, white bread with the crust cut off and jelly, no peanut butter. You know, I wouldn't drink plain milk, only chocolate. <laughs> I'd have pasta, but only with butter. I wouldn't eat like any vegetables. Um, I wouldn't eat rice. I wouldn't eat potatoes or fish. Um, I just, but I finally realized as I got older that I had to start eating stuff. It was embarrassing. I'd go out and I I wouldn't eat anything. Um, And I knew it wasn't good for me. So I did force myself and uh, within her lifetime, you know, she was able to, to see me actually eating things. And I'd eat something like if she'd see me having like grilled salmon or like an asparagus risotto, she would just shake her head and she'd say, when I think about you as a kid. So, um, you know, if, if she could see me like making my own curry powder, like she would be oh like, God, what? Yeah. yeah. So I would love to, I would like to invite her. Uh, I'd like to cook for her. Um, and I guess when I think about having a dinner party, um, you'd like to Put the guests, you know, like choose the guests that so would all get along together. So when I think about my mom, she would have loved, I think, to meet Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. She loved Hillary. So, and I think Hillary would probably be a really fun dinner guest. So um, I, I would, I, I'd like, so I would invite her. Um, and then also one of my mom, I, I, I one of my personal heroes, um, I always loved Joanne Woodward. And I, I always thought, her. yeah, I always thought, you know, if I could, uh, have someone, if I was going to write a story of, of my mom, I would want her to play her. Uh, 
She's just so up. So staying on the my mom theme, I thought Joanne Woodward, be, and she'd be fun too. I think she'd be amazing. Yeah, she'd be really fun. And she right now, I know she has Alzheimer's, and she's been. Um, I think she's been ill for for quite a long time. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, my mom also had Alzheimer's. Um, I'm sorry. So yeah, so I think so. I would take them both, but I, I thought they would choose the time of their life that they would come back in. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I wrote a play about Edward Hopper, the painter Edward Hopper. Yeah. And his wife Joe. Do you know anything about them? Have you heard? No. They I, were. They, yeah, they have a pretty nine, famous. Nine, yeah. Nine Hawks of the Diner. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, they had a very famously contentious marriage uh, for, and they were married for like forty years. They got married. Um, very late, especially for then, it was 1923, and they were in their 40s, both in their early 40s, and they got married. And um, his he he they were both fairly unsuccessful. She was a little more successful than him, um, but within a year of their marriage, his career took off. He was able to quit his day job, which was um, illustrator, and he was done. He had a he had a, a one person show. He had a, a retrospective in MoMA within 10 years from that. From going from there from nowhere, and her career just died, completely died, um, and she fought that all her life. So I wrote this play about them, and it just they're, they're such interesting people. And um, I would think about uh, inviting both Edward and Joe, but Edward didn't like parties, and he was famously quiet. But Joe loved oh, no. parties, yeah. So I think invite her. That'd be what a pair, my God! Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he was um, six foot five, and she was maybe like five foot. You know, so they they were different in every way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let me get one more right. Um, we have women. It's all women so far, but so I think I'll keep. It that's back. that's okay. That's yeah. okay. You know, um, when you talked about earlier, um, we're talking about um, chefs um, and. I've been thinking about, but I don't think I mentioned this. Did I mention Edna Lewis? No. Yeah, she's been on my mind recently. Um, I think because um, there, she used to be the chef, which I didn't know, um, at Gage and Tolner, uh, which is kind of an, a, 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 an old Victorian splendor restaurant that she ended up working at um, after it had been around for oh, over 50 years. I think in the like in the late 1980s, it was almost 100 years old. I think by the time she started working there, she was a chef there for a little while, and it closed down, and it's being reopened. Oh, I actually one of the partners is Sinjin Frizzell, who used to work at Bon Appetit. Oh, um, uh, and he's become um, a really wonderful restaurateur uh, in um, the in, in Brooklyn. He um, he was one of the uh, it's, it's Fort, uh, Fort Defiance in Red Hook, um, one of the really hot destinations in Red Hook. Um, he opened that. Um, but uh, so anyway, so that started me thinking about her and reading about her. And she just sounds like so interesting. You know, she was a seamstress who ended up uh, becoming a chef. She was the chef, the founding chef for Cafe Nicholson, which was this bohemian uh, star-studded, uh, quirky place on the Upper East Side. Um, and then uh, she ended up, she also worked uh, for the Daily Worker, 
you know, she has just all these different things that she did. And then her books. Oh, she was also a pheasant farmer. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so, like I said, she has this really diverse life. And, um, and then I've heard so much about her books and I've, I've only made one of her recipes uh, for her boiled uh, peanut butter cookies. Um, but oh, wow. I just, she, everything was so seasonal with her. She, you know, so many natural ingredients and, and cooking them in a simple way. And I just, so I wanted to, I want to start exploring her recipes. I've been thinking about her. So um, I think I'd like to invite her. I'd like to, it she sounds, just sounds so interesting. Yeah. God, I'd love to talk to her. She sounds mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. What yeah. a wonderful group of people you have. Yeah, they would be, they would be fun. And so also different. And it's, and I, I think Edna would be um, very forgiving. Like she wouldn't, uh, it's okay to have a, a chef uh, like her. Like she'd be very, she would embrace whatever it was that I decided to serve. Yeah, I don't know if I could ever cook for a chef. I'd be a wreck. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I think the, um, my, I, I, I love having sit down dinner parties uh, because a lot of my smaller apartments here in New York couldn't have them. I couldn't fit the people. I didn't have a table. Right. <laughs> so many people in New York don't have them. But um, I do now. But I still, for this thing, one of my favorite things uh, when I'm having people over is I love making the appetizers. Oh, yeah. And I, I was finding that I would just make so many, nobody would want to eat dinner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm stopping that. I don't do that anymore. But for this party, I think I would just do all like small place and apps. That would be what I would do. See, that's fun. And I like that. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people like that because you don't really have to stop and have the formal dinner. You can just kind of keep talking and enjoy Mm. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, so like there's some, some things I really love, like I love soup shots. Right. Um, so I think like, uh, I, I th- I've done, um, a, a lot of different kinds, but so I think like maybe like a, a sweet pea or a, a parsnip bisque, you know, something like that would be oh, fun. Good. I love yeah. I would like that. And I've made, and this was a Bon Appetit recipe. I've served this, um, a few times and it's just always gone over like as a, so well, it's like a, an onion tart. Ooh, yeah. It's like uh, caramelized onions with bacon and sour cream, like served on pizza dough. Mm. oh it's so good yeah it sounds familiar i i feel like i've that sounds so familiar that sounds yeah there's yeah there's like the i think it's like a riff on an alsatian onion yeah 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 Yeah, so i think that'd be really nice and one thing i've have you ever made dumplings no i've that's one of the things that i want to work up to but i've always been Mm. daunted by it yeah, me too. So, but that would be like, I might, then I might give myself the um, challenge of making dumplings because I think they're so great. Yeah. And then I think I, uh, I was thinking about things that I love. I have another thing I've wanted to try. Um, it could be an app or it could be a dinner. Um, uh, it's in Vikas Khanna's uh, cookbook that we have, um, Flavors First. It's a lemon curry scallops. Ooh, yeah. awesome. green curry shallots lemongrass and coconut milk doesn't that sound good that sounds delicious oh my yeah God. yeah this conversation is making me so hungry oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know i did have, i went to um i got to take this trip uh, i don't really know how i ended up being on it because it's an editorial trip but i i went on it when i was working for this small magazine publishing company in the marketing department and it was greek olive oil and it was this 
junket all throughout the mainland of Greece. And we went to olive oil plants, but they also then took us to all these tourist destinations and all they fed us. Like we went to these fantastic restaurants and we went to this oozeri in Athens and I, I, the food just kept coming at us, this small place. And I remember like the, the, um, the gigantes, the beans, oh my God, they were so good. So, you know, I think okay. I wanted to, I've never, I've never been able to replicate that. I would love to do that. And the, even the potatoes and I ate beets. I, would, I never ate beets. <laughs> I ate, they were so good. That, that kind of a meal just, I just love that kind of a meal. I don't, I wouldn't want to come home. That sounds wonderful. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then of course the, you know, you have your, um, your specialty cocktail. I think there's oh, yeah. actually one special cocktail. Uh, and uh, I kind of go toward, uh, I was like a Cosmo. I had one, I had a party the other night and I, get, I did a Cosmo, but there's also, um, I like a, like a French 75 and it could be very nice too. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Um, which I made one of those ones, but used blood orange instead of lemon. It was really good. Mm, this sounds like a great party. Wow. Oh, thanks. Let's do it. <laughs> I love asking people these stories and people have the best, nobody's ever like tongue-tied with this. Mm. Always has the best party ideas. And I'm always like, wow, that sounds like the best time. And I think it always really reveals a lot about people. And I think this is, this sounds really lovely. Oh, uh, why? Thank you. I've really loved talking to you. Thank you for coming and talking to me. I've oh. really got such a sense of New York and the publishing mm. and just, I've loved hearing about all the, um, the different cookbooks you're reading and mm. some of the food experiences you've had. You've made me very hungry. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing about New York um, food-wise going on right now is, um, is when you look at the restaurant industry, which was so decimated, but uh, it's been just watching the restaurateurs hold on and uh, fight back. It's just been amazing. You know, you you go down the street and there's so much energy because all the restaurants are outside now. Thank you so much for joining me today and speaking with author and playwright Dara O'Brien. I could have spoken to Dara all day and I really enjoyed talking with her. Join me next week when I talk to two guests, not just one. The hosts of the Bitten Word podcast are Christine Parker and Ashley Lee. Join me in talking with them as they discuss food in film and in literature, and as they recreate some of the dishes they have seen on TV and films and read in books. It's a very interesting interview, and I think you'll love it. Please join me next week. Until then, keep cooking. This podcast is supported by funds from our sponsors and donations from our listeners. If you wish to donate, simply go to the donation box on the website and click to add money. We appreciate any funds. Thank you.